All right, everybody, welcome to the Deal Gen Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and business titans about a wide range of topics and experiences. The Deal Gen Podcast is brought to you by Deal Gen Partners. Deal Gen Partners is the leading deal origination service on the market for private equity buyers. Deal Gen Partners combines their M&A and private equity experience with a proprietary method of multi-channel marketing services that they call the Bird Dog. This unique recipe generates transaction-ready deals at an unmatched pace and increases a private equity fund's chances of closing a deal by up to 10x. Reach out to DealGen Partners before you begin searching for your next investment. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the DealGen Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Zanka. I know it's been a little bit, so wanted to get back in the studio and, you know, get caught up here, um, you know, go through some things that I've learned personally as a business owner and a founder over the last few months um, since I've been, you know, doing a podcast. So one thing, you know, today's topic that I want to dive into, I think is identifying good clients. I think it's so important. Um, I think at the beginning of a business, you know, when you're starting out, uh, you want to, the only way to really truly know who's a good client and who's not is by not saying no, right? And just saying yes to everything, accepting jobs that maybe, you know, you wouldn't accept a year from now, but at the end of the day, one, it's putting money in your pocket, putting money in your business's bank account. Two, it's allowing you to get better at what you do and learn about, you know, what to do and what not to do. And, you know, three, it's it's allowing you to continue to grow your name and your presence within an industry. So, there's a lot of important reasons why I think at the beginning of starting a business, you say yes to a lot more than maybe you would once you're a little bit established, right? And so we've gotten to a point where we are pretty established. We have over 32 private equity funds who are paying us a retainer right now to go out and find deals for them and do business development services for them. Um, so, you know, a 33rd client, we'll take, you know, we're never going to turn down a good client. But at the end of the day, just any old 33rd client isn't exactly what DealGen needs right now. Um, what DealGen needs, you know, when it comes to a new client uh, has been pretty, you know, identified to this point. So there are a couple of characteristics, you know, that I think, at least in our business, and I think these can cross over into other businesses very easily, um, define and go into being a good client. And when you're on the phone prospecting with this client, or when you start a relationship with this client, these are things that I think you always need to identify. So number one, they see value in what you do pretty instantaneously, right? And what that means is they can see why your business exists. They can see why people pay you to do what you do. And they recognize that at least to a degree, it's solving a problem. And maybe to a degree that it's solving a problem that they're currently experiencing. So when you're on the phone with a prospect, a lot of the time you can tell whether or not they're going to be a good client by the questions that they ask, right? If they're asking questions around, you know, if they're finding every way to not pay you uh, to, to provide a service to them, chances are they're probably not a good client. Um, one, you know, they don't, they don't value what you do. You know, they're poking holes, not in what it's going to do for them, but they're just poking holes in your business model in general. Um, two, you know, when someone tries to give you a lot of unsolicited advice, as if you know you've never been there before. Um, you know, my my business partner Brian and I laugh sometimes 
Um, you know, we go back to thinking about when we played baseball and, you know, we, we were on a D3 team um, in college and, you know, sometimes these umpires or sometimes maybe division one coaches or players would, would talk to you as if you were beneath them or as if like, you know, you didn't really know what baseball was. And we always say, yeah, we, you know, we're on a team and everything. We have uniforms and stuff too. It's, uh, it's amazing. Right. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's sarcastic, but at the end of the day, when someone's talking to you, you know, in a condescending manner, as if you don't even have a business yet, um, I, I personally, I don't want to do business with somebody like that. And I don't think that you, you know, I don't think anybody wants to, I mean, you're getting into a relationship where they're putting themselves above you. Um, you're not being treated as an equal and they're not valuing what you're doing. So I think asking when, when you're on the phone prospecting, you know, becoming a client for taking on a new client, it's a two way street, right? A lot of the time in sales, we look at it as a one way street. I'm selling you something. I am trying to get you to buy my service. At the end of the day, when you have an established business, I think it's equal. I think it's, hey, I'm trying to get you to become a client, but I'm also trying to see if this is a worthwhile relationship for me to get into as well. So I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to look for, you know, little signs of whether or not this is even a relationship that I want to be in. Uh, and this is, you know, even though that you're going to be the one paying me to do what I'm doing, I'm going to be the one spending my time, my energy and putting, you know, maybe my reputation on the line, taking you on as a client. So I want to make sure the fit is right. And I think that the more you know, mature, especially service businesses get, you know, the more um, they look at that stuff and they don't have really, you know, any ifs, ands, or buts about whether or not they're going to take somebody on as a client. You know, there's pretty kind of concrete rules on who they work with and who they don't. And if you, you know, fall too far into the, hey, this is just not what we're going to do, or this is not what we do. We had, you know, somebody recently kind of on the phone, try and get us to basically change our business model for that one particular client. And the way that they were saying it was as if we had never done this before. Like we had never actually offered the services that we offer as a business before. So they were pitching us this idea of like, hey, well, why don't we, why don't you guys try this? Why don't we try this together? And what we realized is that like, that's just the wrong thing to be asking. We have a proven business model. We have clients that have been paying us for over a year now to continue to do, do what we do for them and, you know, have no sign of slowing down. So, you know, why would we completely adapt everything we do just to get another client who, you know, might be even less capable than I would say an overwhelming majority of, of the clients that we currently have? Just doesn't make sense. So one thing that, you know, I think goes into identifying good clients is, are they asking the right questions? Two, for us, it comes down to activity as well, right? Deal gen, our business model is that we get paid a retainer to go out and find our private equity clients' deals, and then we get paid a success fee when they successfully buy something from us, or they, they complete an M&A transaction that we brought them. It's... You know, it's imperative that they're they're willing to do both, right? They 
see enough value in what we do to recognize that we should be getting paid for all the effort that we're putting in. And that retainer is going towards, for us, it's going towards working capital, right? So we charge the retainer basically so that we can fund doing all the, you know, the activity that goes into finding deals. So think about it like if you're building a house, you know, you need to pay for the wood and the, you know, the shingles and the cabinets and everything like that. That's part of building a house. That's part of the cost. Our retainer is we need to pay for all the data. We need to pay for all the time that goes into building these campaigns. We need to get paid for the subscriptions. So it's the same concept, right? You can't really build the house without the materials to do it. You can't run you know, campaigns and do what we do without paying for the materials to do it. Secondly, we need people who are willing and able to get deals done. Because at the end of the day, if this piece of our business with the retain model is mostly costs, we're not re really making a lot of profit just by having clients pay us a retainer. We make profit when clients buy companies. So at the beginning of deal gen, we were doing a lot of referral only agreements, meaning we weren't having clients pay us a retainer. We were going out and opportunistically trying to find them deals. Without their skin in the game, it just didn't work. They need to have skin in the game. They need to be committed to you as much as you're committed to them. Second, we were taking on every client as if they were the exact same. Now, one client might have done eight to 10 deals last year, and they've raised an even larger fund and are looking to, you know, one and a half X what they did last year and do anywhere from 13 to 15 deals. Another client might be looking for the first M&A transaction they've ever done. They're not the same. The one who's doing 10 deals a year is a seasoned professional investor. They not only have the capital and the ability to get de deals done and the track record, they have a willingness to be flexible because of their education when it comes to making deals. They know as you know their limits on either side. They know how far they can push it, you know, from a initial uh, LOI, you know, initial offer, what they can get away with, and then how far they can push that offer and stretch it, whether it's price or terms, when it comes to making an investment. I think that the individual who's looking to buy their first ever business, I applaud them for you know taking that initiative. But at the end of the day they're a novice investor. They just are, you know? And so when it comes to being a novice investor, you're much more cautious. You don't know what you don't know. So when it comes to how to structure a deal, um, the structure could be, you know, misaligned. And then when it comes to being able to negotiate, you know, you don't know how far you could stretch. You don't know if you're, you know, certain terms or a certain price is going to make a deal a bad deal. You might have an idea, but to me, the, 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 the best way to figure out what not to do is to lose money. And you haven't even lost money yet. You know, and I think the first rule of investing is not to lose money. But at the end of the day, you know, there's plenty of investors out there that would tell you they've made a mistake. And even if they didn't lose money making the mistake, they didn't make as much as they could have by, you know, allowing a certain term of a deal to go through or pay, overpaying at the beginning of a deal um, when they could have just walked away. So, why is that important? Well, again, the group that's doing a lot of deals uh, has a like, much higher likelihood of getting a deal done than the individual who you know is just looking to buy their first company. And 
our likelihood of getting paid, you know, we're going to charge them the same price to be a part of it, you know, be a DLG client. Our likelihood of making money and, and capitalizing on our business model is much higher with the group, obviously, that's doing a lot of deals and has done a lot of deals in the past. So I think that, you know, once you've gotten to a point where you have enough clients to support your business, when taking on a new client, you know all the work and the additional you know resources and going to go into doing that, uh, it becomes important to you know kind of take a step back and look at who you're bringing on. And then three, for us, once someone is a client, communication is the biggest thing, I think, that goes into a relationship. Effectively communicating and respectfully communicating are two things that, you know, you need uh, in return from another client. I mean, I think, you know, in, in many cases, having someone as a client is like having someone, you know, as a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's like going on a date. Um, you know, you're both committed to a relationship and they're committed to, you know, paying you and they're committed to, you know, you being able to provide services for them. They're trusting you that you can do the job that, that they're, that they're paying for. And, but you're, you know, committed to them in the sense that, you know, you need to deliver, but you also need reciprocation back from them. Um, in order to do your job, you need them to effectively communicate with you on not only what that job is, but when you go out and deliver the service, you know, you need feedback um, regardless, right? So if I were to find someone one of my clients a deal and I send it over and they don't open the email for a week and they don't get back to me. Well, what is that doing? One, it's not effective communication on their part. It's making the likelihood of them getting that deal done much lower. Two, I don't know. I'm not getting any positive feedback whether or not that is a good fit for a deal or it's not. So I'm not getting any better at what I'm doing. And you know, three, if I got that deal from one of my relationships that I've taken the time to build and groom and cultivate, and I'm sending that deal along and I'm not letting my relationship know that it's a good fit or not because I don't know whether or not the client actually likes it yet. Now I'm jeopardizing relationships that I have and I'm jeopardizing my reputation as someone who can get things done. And it's for no other reason than, you know, lack of communication. So I think communication is monumental and just it, it needs to be built into um, every, you know, client service provider relationship. Um, so those are, you know, just three areas that when, when it comes for, you know, at this point in time in our, in our lifespan, when deal gen's taking on a new client, um, those are three things that we look for. You know, it's, it's good, effective communication. It's a willingness to get deals done. And it's, you know, someone who's going to be asking the right questions and seeing value in what we do uh, right away. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to be sold or bought in right away, but it means that they can see why we exist and they can see the value that we provide. And that's an important first step to a relationship is that, you know, they can see why, even if it's not the right time right now, if it is in the future, the right time, why they would get engaged with us. Because um, if they can't see that and they want to do, you know, a, a, a test trial or they're, they're dipping their toe in the water, it's not a good fit anymore. You know, there is no dipping of toes. There's committing or not committing. And, you know, at this point we need people to commit. So that's a lesson that I've learned, you know, recently. Um, again, everything I share on here 
is experience driven. So the, how I learned that is by taking on some of the wrong clients um, and just learning from what that relationship looked like versus some of the best clients that we have that, you know, we're, we're doing deals with on a quarterly basis and we're, um, we're excited to talk to every single time. So I appreciate it guys, as always, thank you. And uh, we'll see you soon.